Um, we're heading out for that for the rest of the week, so we take off for that tomorrow. But it's good to be with you guys today as we jump into um, another one of these movies that we're kind of using um, as illustrations as we talk about some important things um, throughout this uh, month. Um, so I know that during the course of the week, we ask you if you will watch the movie um, so that you can be up to speed um, when we talk about them on the weekends. But I'm just curious, prior to us asking you to do that, how many of you had either seen or heard of today's movie, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. Just raise your hand a little bit. Okay, so not a lot. Okay, not a lot. That's okay. I understand. Um, I know that in this movie, you know, there's, there's no fighter jets. Um, 11-year-old Margaret does not take on any ninjas. Um, there is nothing that blows up, okay? It's not one of those movies, right? But um, are you all familiar with Rotten Tomatoes, the rating system? Everybody knows that, right? Um, Rotten Tomatoes ranks all these movies, and all of them are in the 90s. But this movie ranked the highest of every single one that we're looking at during the course of this series at 99 how about that, huh? 99, which basically means that everyone who saw it and everyone that reviewed it thought it was great, okay? And I understand why. There is um, quite a bit in this that we can dive into and um, really kind of talk about a lot this morning. So we're gonna, we're gonna jump into it. Um, if you've not seen it, okay, if you still have not seen it, let me just give you a, a short overview of, of what it's about, okay? So um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret follows the life of 11-year-old Margaret Simon, okay? She's getting ready to go into middle school. And her whole world is upended when her family moves from New York City into New Jersey, okay? Um, it's the movie adaptation of the book um, written in the 70s by Judy Bloom with the same title. Anybody read the book? Anybody read the book? Okay, great. Some of you read the book as well, all right? So Margaret as you might imagine, is struggling as, six, as a sixth grader. She's trying to fit in. She's trying to find her identity, all right? Um, she's grown up without religion, on purpose, okay? Her mother um, is raised a Christian. Her father raised Jewish. But they decide not to ask Margaret to follow either religion and let her decide later on. Both parents had had not-so-good experiences, um, with their respective religions. So they decide that they're not gonna push that on her at all. And they're gonna let her decide later on if she wants to be either religion. Now the grandparents in the movie, they are meddlers, okay? And they get in the middle of this conflict and it gets pretty ugly, okay? Margaret though, unknown to everyone in the movie basically, has established her own relationship with God. Thus, the title of the movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. We find her praying to God um, throughout the movie. As a matter of fact, um, in the movie, very early on, Margaret says this. She says, God, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret Simon. I've heard a lot of good things about you. So that's kind of where we start meeting Margaret on her journey to understand herself and to understand God. It's a true coming of age movie. Now, if you haven't seen it for a while or you've never seen it, um, watch this trailer. Just gives you a little feel for what the movie is about. Check it out. I hope you caught the end of that clip where mom says to Margaret, um, it gets tiring trying so hard all the time, doesn't it? 
Um, we're going to get back to that at the end um, this morning, but um, it's a really important phrase, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But I want to start at a different spot, okay? I want to start here this morning. Um, think about this with me. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and it's an okay day? Things like, seems pretty good, things are going okay, but by the time you lay your head back down on the pillow that night, um, it's just turned into a really bad day. Things are turned upside down and the problems are just there. Um, has a small problem that you've had unraveled into something much, much bigger? Or were you so tired? Have you ever been so tired and, and things are a little bit hard that one little thing comes along? It's not even that big of a deal, but one little thing comes along that sort of sends you over the edge, toppling um, into a really tough spot. Well, for Margaret in this movie, um, she's at summer camp in the beginning of this film. She's at summer camp, everything is pretty good, um, but she comes home to find that her family is moving from New York City to New Jersey, and it's the beginning of the unraveling of her life. So check out this clip. Um, she's not sorry. Okay. She is not sorry that she dropped that comment. Okay. Um, I want to spend some time this morning talking about life and problems and the idea of actually, actually really relying on God. Okay. See if this resonates or connects with you at all. Okay. Life starts to get a little bumpy. Life starts to get a little hard, and we sometimes double down in trying to reach out to God, um, kind of like Margaret does in this movie over and over. There's a phrase that maybe you've seen in the past couple of years, let go and let God. Um, a lot of us try to do this, right? Um, we pray more, we, we try harder to connect with God to maybe try to find some peace in what's happening to us. It's like, if I can focus on God enough, right? If I can just focus on God enough, then relief will start to come. But the problem is we can never really focus on him enough, right? There's distractions, there's uncertainty, and it sort of knocks us off track. Maybe you can relate to that in your own life. And sometimes we're sort of reducing trust in God to thoughts about God, reducing our trust in God to thoughts about God, but those easily get knocked off track. But relying on God is not just a matter of mental willpower, okay? It, it's different, it's more, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a shift in daily focus. It involves, it involves our mind, but it also involves our body and it involves our, our soul, okay? It's, it's bigger than just thinking about God and, and hoping that he'll bring us some relief. I read this article this week as I was thinking about this idea. Um, that I thought was really, really helpful. And it suggested that you begin to make this kind of shift, moving away from just thinking about God to relying on God by doing a couple of different things. And I wanted to share them with you. I think they're really helpful, okay? So here are the things that um, you do to begin to make this shift. One is you concentrate on your heart. And what that means is this. It's, it's this idea that believing that God will do the best in your life. Believing that God will do the best in your life, even when we experience suffering or loss or sacrifice. It's believing in our hearts that God will show up. 
Now, here's the hard part of that. Um, almost everyone in this room, if we had you raise your hand or um, take a poll or a survey, nobody in here says, you know what? Um, I really like suffering. Let's do that. You know what? Suffering is awesome. Bring it my way. I want to do that. We just don't usually treat it that way, right? We'll go out of our ways to avoid a conversation that might be painful. We'll go out of our ways to avoid a situation that we know might bring us pain. We just don't want to go there. Most of the time, we just don't want to inflict that on ourselves. Life can be hard enough as it is. But here's what God says. God says, look, I need you to willingly take up your cross and follow me. Rather than resenting, you know, the difficult circumstances and things that come our way, we need to trust God even when we don't understand the plan and even when things are hard, even if that means we have to put ourselves in that spot of being uncomfortable. The other ways that this article suggested that we can begin to kind of make this shift into just thinking about God and really depending on God are these physical habits Okay, um, literally, you and me just taking care of ourselves, you know, with, with basic things, taking care of ourselves. Another one was communal habits, which really just means keeping the relationships that we have, keeping those healthy, working hard to keep our relationship healthy. And then the last one that we're going to spend a little more time on this morning is this. It's, it's focusing our minds on Scripture, Focusing our minds on scripture. Now, I hope that you'll indulge me a little bit on this this morning. We're gonna do some things together that require you participate along with this. Um, And I think though that if you will, it will help you to maybe be refreshed a little bit. That's my my prayer for you is that you leave this morning um, refreshed and charged up a little bit in terms of how do, I, how do I move from just thinking about God to actually, you know, depending on him, okay? One of the ways for me that I have found in the last couple of years in refreshing my relationship with God is to read scripture out loud, okay? Now, nothing wrong with a quiet time, I hope that you have that. I hope you have some time with just you and God where it's quiet and it's silent and you're spending time maybe reading scripture in silence and, and praying. But I found that sometimes reading scripture out loud changes the game, okay? It, it hits different. When we hear it out loud sometimes, when we say it even to ourselves out loud, it just begins to take on a new meaning. Think about it this way. When you first became a follower of Christ, okay? I remember when I did some 30-some years ago, okay? And I remember when I would read Scripture for the first time when I hadn't read it before, um, the meaning would be so, so, so heavy in good and bad ways, right? It was new things that I hadn't heard before and new challenges to who I was. And I remember those things just being important. And, and it's not that those things have diminished over time, but they change as we change. And so I'm always looking for maybe a different way to, to rediscover that or to get that back or to have scripture um, come at me in a different way. And one of those ways for me has to um, been to read it out loud. Out loud. So we're going to do that um, a little bit together this morning. And I'm going to ask you, when we do this together, to stand, okay? So will you stand with me right now for this first section? We're going to read this one section together, okay? It's going to be on the screen, and we're going to stand. And you're going to stay standing for just a little bit, and I'll let you sit down in a few minutes. I'm going to add in a few things. But we're going to read this together, okay? It's from the book of John, John 16, 
verse 33, okay? So let's read it together. Here we go. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All right, let's focus in on one part of that scripture for a minute, okay? In this world, you will have trouble. Say that again with me one more time. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, (laughs) I'm guessing that no one in this room has picked up these verses, gone out into the front of their house and went, in this world, you will have trouble and celebrated that. Hard one to celebrate, hard one to wanna embrace, hard one to take in, right? But right there, it is. No one wants to embrace that. No one really wants trouble, okay? But there it is. In this world, you will have trouble. So we have this choice, that being true. Embrace and trust what's to come in that verse or let those problems overrun us. We can let it wipe us out. We can let those things kill our relationships. We can let those things trash our families or rob our hope, or we can understand that pain and problems are part of life and we can emerge whole and even better. How? It's in the second part of that verse. It's in the last part. It says this, take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Okay, say that with me, please. I have overcome the world. Think about the weight and the power in both of those statements, okay? Um, In this world, you will have trouble. We don't always wanna embrace it, but we have to. And then there's the second part, Jesus speaking. I have overcome the world. All right, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. Thank you for doing that. Um, I wanna give you a visual to take with you today that, that, that talks about this, this, this verse, 1633, okay? But I'm gonna need um, a volunteer to do this, okay? Someone that's brave enough to just come up on the stage for a few minutes. Come on up, I saw your hand first. Come on up, come on up, we're gonna introduce you. This might be too easy for you, you'll see in a minute. Uh, can you tell everybody your name? Christopher Knox. This is Christopher Knox. Everybody give it up for him one more time. Christopher, you'll come over here for a second. All right, so Christopher, if you will just stand right where I am, wherever we can see you. Okay, so I wanna give you something to take away with you today to sort of think about this, okay? Um, Here's what I wanna give you first, all right? I'm gonna give you this, all right? Five pounds. Can you just hold that to your side for a minute? Should have gotten someone smaller. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing, all right? I know that this verse is pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty simple. Let me read it to you one more time. Just take it in one more time, okay? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I know that you hear the words I hear the words, right? But do we really take it in? Do we really feel the weight on both sides of that verse? Do we feel the the weight of it? And do we feel the relief in it? Do we really feel the weight? I'm gonna give you this, 
Okay, if you can put that in your other hand, hang on to that for a few minutes. Okay, um, you know, this verse asks us to feel the weight. It's easy for me because I don't have to carry him. All right, um, it asks you to feel the weight and it asks you also to feel the relief that comes with it. It's, it's really big. It's a small verse, but there's so much in it, okay? Um, the life that God calls us to is a great life. It's a wonderful life. It's the best life possible on this side of heaven, okay? One full of peace and one full of hope and one full of fulfillment because Jesus has overcome the world. But Christ tells us we will still have trouble. We may feel some of the weight and <laughs> the burden. Um, I'm gonna trade you this one for this one. Got it? Let's go. You sure? Let's go. Let's do it. You don't need me to help you? Let's do it. No, he don't need me. Okay. I'll hold this one. This is about my speed right here. Okay, I'm just gonna do this to the whole message. Okay, now, here's the thing. Days will come and days will go. Burdens may multiply on us, but the weight the weight that's discussed here, we may carry it a little bit, but the true weight is not on us. The true weight is on Christ. Christ suffered mightily because God called him to suffer. That's the true weight that's getting carried. So no matter how burdened we might get, what might happen, what trials we have to go through, how heavy it gets, whatever it is, we win because of what Christ has done. Take heart, I have overcome the world. All right. Will you thank Christopher for uh, hanging on to these weights for us? Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can work out if you want. It looks like it's not hard for you. Good. That's good, that's good. Thank you, sir, very much. Appreciate you. One more time, one more time. Thank you, thank you. Okay. I just want you to, every, if you've ever picked up a weight in your life, um, if you've ever, you know, had to do uh, something that was burdensome, then you, then you get it, right? It's, there's weight, there's weight, but not all of it is ours to bear. Some of it we're gonna bear, but Christ ultimately bears. He has won for us. Take heart, I have overcome the world. The Bible tells us when problems come, it's not what we want. It's not what maybe we would choose. It's not what we hope for, okay? But we have the opportunity to respond in a way that allows us to grow. And as we gradually mature in this idea of moving beyond just um, an intellectual thought about God into a dependence on God, as we go down that road, you know, we're inevitably going to struggle with things like our hearts and our bodies, and our minds, or our community. So our ultimate reliance on God has to be demonstrated through daily embracing this undeserved grace that he gives us, this, this victory. It's ours to grab. We get to hang on to it, okay? We get to hang on to that. He's already won the victory. Let me come at this just one more way before we move past this verse. In the Old Testament, 
we read about God's chosen people, the Israelites, right? And sometimes they would take this journey three times a year. They would take this journey to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. And on the way, they would sing and say words of praise to him. God told them to go there and worship him and and bring these sacrifices to him. And these journeys lasted for days and days and days, and they'd be pretty dangerous, right? But there was this one song that they would sing along the way. And as soon as I start to recite the scripture, you're going to know it. We've, We've sung it in this place, all right? It's been part of who we are, all right? But here's the song they would sing. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But it goes on to say this, for he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. And some point in this really long journey that they would take, um, they would see the hills that surrounded Jerusalem, their destination, and it would come into view. And maybe even the very hill where the temple sat would come into view and they would sing that song. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. And the rest of those verses speak about one really very clear thing. And that's this idea of confidence in God. Confidence that God really was there every day, every step to help them complete their journey. They could depend on God and not be afraid. I wanna suggest to you that that journey that they were on is the same journey that we're on. And it's the same God that looks out for you, the same God that offers his strength and his confidence and his love as we journey wherever we're going along. Our journey is supposed to be about depending on God and changing and knowing more about who we are supposed to be in God and that we're not supposed to have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of confidence. We're gonna read one other passage out loud again this morning. So if you will stand one more time for me this morning and take a look at the screen, we're gonna read from the book of James. Okay, James chapter one, verses two and three. Let's read this together, ready? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. James says, when you've got a problem, relax. When you've got a problem, relax. In fact, he says, rejoice, take it easy, thank God, praise God. Why? Because we know that God is with us. God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for your life, for my life. And he's going to help me navigate into and through that. God's purpose is greater than any pain or any problem, any issue, any difficulty that I'm gonna go through. James says, consider it all joy when you go through problems. Notice that he doesn't say, be thankful for the problems. 
He doesn't say be thankful for the problems. He says, be thankful in the problem. Be thankful in the problem. Learning to rejoice in the situation continually is going to help us to live by faith, to move in this direction of just an intellectual idea of who God is to a dependence on who God is. In seminary, one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite classes was about the um, history of Judaism. And they would teach us all of these things that were these complimentary things that people understood about God. And they had all these kind of quirky stories about things. And one of them was about a camel. Okay, so I want you to think everything that you know about camels right now. I probably won't take you long to bring that up, but bring that up into your head, okay? All the things that you know. Matter of fact, let's try to be camels. Turn to your neighbor and spit. No, don't do that. Camels are gross, right? They're like, uh. Anyway, okay, so camels, all right? Here's what the, the, here's what the saying is. According to the camel is the load. According to the camel is the load. It says God knows his camels, okay? He made them and he leads them through life. He knows just how much each one can carry. So we're asked to think about it this way. These are not problems that will never be solved, all right? These are loads, These are loads that get unloaded. Loads that are placed by the camel's master, knowing that we can handle them. Loads that are not permanent, but may be meant to be carried for a reason. Camels are designed to survive. That's how they're made. If you read through them, and I've read more about camels this week than I ever wanna read but they're, they're made to survive. They're given what they need to navigate whatever comes their way. You can have a seat. The load helps us see what we can carry. And when the burden is more than we can handle, We have this amazing and beautiful guarantee that the Lord of the universe carries burdens that we can't bear. He carries the ultimate burden, the burden of sin and death. He carries that, we don't carry it. It's a free gift of salvation for us. He carries that, but he gives us some things to carry along the way as well. I hope that maybe these two passages approaching them in maybe just a little bit different way, maybe a little bit of a weird way, maybe more of a visual way, maybe an audible way, just gives you an opportunity to think about them different and maybe to ask yourself an important question. Here's the question. I ask myself this a lot. How quickly do I praise God when things go wrong? How quickly am I able, willing? Do I wanna do that? How quickly... Do you do that? Do you do it fast? Do you do it slow? Do you never do it? Where do you come out on that? And and where for you maybe is there an opportunity for growth? I wanna go back to something that I said we'd come back to. And it was in that first clip that we watched today where Margaret's mom says this to her. He says, it gets tiring 
trying so hard all the time, doesn't it? In the movie, this 11-year-old girl, Margaret, is navigating the triple whammy of life, okay? Puberty, friendships, and religion. Easy, right? Easy for an 11-year-old, easy for anybody. She's navigating through these really, really hard things. She and her friends talk about and compare and worry about their appearance. Margaret tries to make friends and fails and ends up with friends that maybe she doesn't really even want. And even though she struggles with friendships and knows what it feels like to be disappointed in that and have pain with that, she's not a very good friend to some of the people around her either. And since her family has chosen not to lead her down a spiritual path, she's on her own path. Along the way, in all of this, she's got a teacher that we meet. His name is Mr. Benedict. And he sort of notices that Margaret is navigating through some spiritual things. And he suggests to her that her end of the semester paper should be about that. And so through the movie, we see Margaret praying and we see her trying and doing some things, all right? Um, She asks her Jewish grandma if she can go to temple with her. She's thrilled, right? She's walking in, this is my granddaughter. This is my granddaughter. Meet my granddaughter. Meet my granddaughter, right? Margaret goes to the temple, sits in it for two hours, has no idea what happened. <laughs> completely, completely clueless, lost, has no idea what happens. She goes to two different church services with two different friends and struggles to make sense of anything that's happening at either one of those services. She even slips into a Catholic church and into a confessional where she quickly realizes this is weird, doesn't understand what's happening and runs out even more confused. However, she continues to pray to God on her own. Then comes maybe the most pivotal scene in the movie. Her grandparents come to visit her at the same time her Jewish grandmother, her Christian grandparents, okay? And they get into a huge blowout fight and argument about which religion Margaret should be. They're arguing, it's really ugly, and Margaret stops the whole thing, screams in the living room, upset that they're fighting, and declares that she doesn't even believe in God. This is the scene afterward where she's writing report to her teacher, Mr. Benedict. Check it out. In an article that was written about the movie in the Christian Post, the screenwriter for the movie, um, Kelly Freeman Craig, frames this scene and this issue really well. Here's what she says. She says, Margaret is at the age when you realize your parents aren't God. They're people that are just doing the best they can. It makes you say, if they're not in charge, then who is in charge? Is anyone in charge? Now, I don't think you have to be 11 to ask that question. You can be any age and navigate that question. Margaret was asking, and maybe we're all in some way asking that question, maybe in different ways, but we're asking it. Are you there, God? It's me, Kyle. 
the things that left Margaret with doubts were going through hard things and feeling alone, being treated poorly by other people, treating other people poorly and feeling guilty about it, seeing how her parents were hurt by religion and people fighting about religion and her not being able to see maybe how God was active in her life. So for her, every seemingly unanswered prayer was God letting her down again. But is that just the movies? Or is that life? Or does that describe maybe how we feel sometimes? Are there real life people who don't know if God is there because they don't feel him? Because they're put off by the way some people live out their faith or what they do or don't connect it to? Are there people in real life who are scared and lonely and worn out, even powerless and weak, wondering, are you there, God? Are there real life people who wonder if God is for them? Some of you may be familiar with an author, and her name is Rachel Held Evans. Um, She wrote several books. She has spoken from this very stage, from this very spot in one of the conferences we used to do around here called Blue. Before she tragically passed away a couple of years ago, at a very young age, she wrote an article about God and how he communicates and connects with us. And there was a controversy at the time, and I guess actually this is kind of an ongoing, maybe controversy that never ends, but there was a lot of criticism of of modern preaching or approaches to God, I guess. And the criticism was something like this. Um, It was basically that um, the gospel was getting too simple or it was being dumbed down, if you will. And I guess um, that was the main criticism, okay? That the God of the universe wouldn't communicate that way or wouldn't stoop down to explain things in such a simple way. And Rachel wrote this. She wrote, this notion overlooks one of the most central themes of scripture itself. God stoops. From walking with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden to traveling with the liberated Hebrew slaves in a pillar of cloud and fire to slipping into flesh and eating, laughing, suffering, healing, weeping, and dying among us as part of humanity, the God of the scripture stoops and stoops and stoops and stoops. At the heart of the gospel message is the story of a God who stoops to the point of death on a cross. Dignified or not, believable or not, ours is a God perpetually on bended knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they're seen and that they're loved. Watching this movie a couple of times as a youth pastor um, who really has a heart for young people and teenagers, um, I kept thinking, man, if I could just sit down with Margaret, (laughs) man, if I could just get a couple of minutes to sit down with her, um, I would tell her a couple of things. And one was this. One was that, man, I'm so glad that you're praying. (laughs) Keep praying. Be patient. God is there. Hang on to that. So glad that you're seeking out God. And I think I would have told her this verse. 
It's from 1 Corinthians 12, 9. It goes like this. It said, um, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I think a big part of submitting ourselves to God about owning this idea that we're stronger in him than we are on our own is waiting, (laughs) is time, the refinement in our hearts and our lives that takes place over time. But man, we hate to wait, right? (laughs) I hate to wait. Have you ever done this in traffic? Have you ever been um, approaching an intersection and you're a little ways back and you still have the opportunity to get in one lane or the other and you look at the two cars in front of you and you try to figure out which one is gonna take off faster? (laughs) Raise your hand, anybody? Oh, I do this all the time, right? And this matrix goes through my mind. I'm like, okay, let's see. Mustang, old pickup truck. No, 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 you know, uh, what's... On their phone, not on the, all this matrix goes through my head just so I can get behind the one car that's gonna take off faster so I can get where I'm going more quickly, right? And guess what happens to me every time? I get behind the wrong person and they're on their phone or they turn their, I, this is terrible. I call them blinker dorks because their blinker is on and they're not turning. And I'm like, turn! (laughs) Sorry, personal problem. (laughs) It's all about waiting though, right? And we don't wanna wait. We don't like to wait. We hate waiting in lines. But if every prayer we had was immediately answered, if every need we have is automatically met, if every problem were instantly solved, we wouldn't need faith. Our faith wouldn't grow or be stretched if it was immediate, right? We have to wait. It's human nature not to want to, but we need to. God can grow us through these irritating times of waiting, no doubt about it. Often the times he really grows us are in those times of waiting, when the loads are on. When the people of Israel of the Old Testament were on their way from Egypt to the promised land, which we've all read about probably. Going from Egypt to the promised land. They could have made it, they could have traveled the distance that they went in probably two or three weeks. We know it took 40 years. It took 40 years. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.2, God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to test you in order to know what was in your heart. That's what happens in times of waiting. We get to see God and we get to see him show up and we get to see what he's going to do to shape and change us. We've all found ourselves in those situations where we feel like we're in a hurry but God is not. It happens all the time. Why does it happen? Because God is more interested in growing us, changing our hearts, 
bolstering our faith than anything else. That's what he's interested in. God's ways are always unexpected. We're told that we don't think the way that God thinks. He thinks differently, but they're always right. He answers our prayers, not by giving us what we want, but by giving us what we need. Will you pray with me this morning? God, here we are. (laughs) You're impatient people. Lord, I just pray very simply this morning that you would give us more patience. That you would allow us to understand that in the times of waiting, in the moments when things feel slow to us, that you have a purpose. That you have something to show us and that you're shaping and forming our hearts. That you're, you're, you're taking us from just an intellectual understanding of you to a deep seated faith that's present so that when the times of trial come, we know where to go. We know what to do with that. And we understand that it's part of what you desire for us. Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us to want that. Help us to want to live out of that. Lord, I pray that we would never give up that we would continue to pray, that we would seek you out always. God, meet us where we're at. Thank you for who you are. We love you. We live up all these things. All of God's people said, amen.